Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dodges-Marmette. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Stephanie and I had such an amazing experience last week. We went to Healing Elements Yoga and Massage Studio in St. Anthony Park, which is really on the cusp of um, St. Paul and Minneapolis. And we went there and we took just a wonderful yoga class. We each had our you know, own massages. I had like an integrated massage, which I've never had before. And the therapist was so wonderful. What, what did you have? I had a deep tissue and I was had so much inflammation going on in my body. It was wonderful, wonderful. Probably one of the best massages I've had. Um, it's such a welcoming community too, Marnie. Like we sat before our massage and yoga class and we had tea. They have like a little, you know, tea coffee shop area and retail space. Which had the cutest little things. Like I could just spend time kind of browsing around in there. Yes. And um, it was just, it's such an authentic place. Like you really could feel that welcoming community and... Um, this inclusiveness and connectedness, really. And they have so many different services they offer. They have all different kinds of yoga classes, meditation classes, massage therapy they're doing workshops and special events and you can actually sign up to be a have like a massage membership so if you are someone that which is so cool yes so healing elements has an amazing offer for all of our listeners first-time customers can receive a one week of unlimited yoga classes for free and $15 off a massage treatment Head on over to our show notes and you'll get the promo code. You can either book online or you can call the studio. I cannot wait to go back. Either can I. Hello and welcome to episode number 27 of the Art of Living Well podcast. We are honored to bring you today's guests, Gavin Kaysen and Allison Arth. Gavin is an award-winning chef and founder of the Swanee Hospitality Group. He helms three nationally recognized restaurants in the Minneapolis metropolitan area, including Spoon and Stable, which was a 2015 James Beard Award finalist for the best new restaurant, Bella Core, a French-inspired bistro, and his newest concept, Demi, an intimate 20-seat tasting menu experience located in the North Loop. Both Marnie and I have had the immense pleasure of experiencing the magic of all of his restaurants, including Demi, last year which was a truly magical experience and one that will leave you with a full heart as well as a happy and full belly. Chef Kaysen refines his craft in contemporary American fine dining by dedicating time to some of the world's best restaurants in New York City, Switzerland, and London. He is privileged to call two of the world's most celebrated chefs, Danielle Boulou and Paul Bocuse, his mentors. Today, Chef Kaysen helps the next generation of young culinarians refine their skills in the kitchen as one of the founding mentors of the nonprofit Mentor BKB Foundation, 
for which he currently serves as president of Team USA. Chef Kaysen is also the proud winner of two James Beard Awards, Rising Star Chef of the Year in 2008 and Best Chef for the Midwest in 2018. We are also fortunate to have Allison Arth, the Director of Development for Soignier with us today. After trying her hand in the kitchen and realizing quickly that cooking was destined to be a beloved hobby rather than a fruitful career, Allison earned her business degree from Cornell University School of Hotel Administration. Immediately after graduating, Allison was recruited by Danielle Boulou's Dynax Group and served in an operations-heavy leadership role that was intensely focused on executing successful restaurant openings and managing large-scale creative projects. This is where her professional relationship and decade-long friendship with Gavin began. Later on, she held leadership positions at the Delphinia Restaurant Group and was charged with bringing multiple dining and bar concepts to life alongside the most prestigious event programs in San Francisco. Allison's passion for leading like-minded hospitality businesses to sustainable success inspired her to found her consulting business, Salt and Row, in 2014. She also authored her first book, How to Open a Restaurant in Partnership with Open Table, in 2016. Allison was a key partner in the opening of Spoon and Stable and Valacore, and now focuses on strategic planning, leadership development, and creating a thoughtful plan for growth for Swanee Hospitality in conjunction with Gavin. Allison also serves as the Board of Directors for La Cochina, a nonprofit organization in San Francisco that provides industry-specific technical assistance and access to market opportunities for low-income women who are looking to launch, formalize, and grow their own food businesses. As the world keeps turning upside down during the current coronavirus pandemic, Gavin and Allison have proven to be even stronger leaders than I think they realized they were. After closing his restaurants, Gavin and Allison put their heads together to launch a new business model for takeaway from Spoon and Stable and Bella Core, helping to keep some employees on staff while also feeding the local community. They immediately launched the Heart of the House Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to providing bridge support for its team members and their families. For those of you who know Gavin through his restaurants, you will be blown away by this conversation as you learn of all the truly great things that take place behind the scenes to create a majestic moment for the guests. Their restaurants go beyond serving a delicious and nourishing meal. They provide a sense of home, comfort, and belonging because they have heart. You will also learn the many facets of the Swanee Hospitality Group, including a unique catering company for professional athletes, You'll also learn how Gavin and Allison both work hard to create meaningful career development and health and wellness programs for their employees. We can't wait for his restaurants to fully reopen so that we can have one of the majestic moments that his community creates for everyone who walks in the door. So without further ado, let's get started with our conversation with Chef Kaysen and Allison Arth. Hi, Gavin and Allison. Thank you both so much for being on our podcast today. Marnie and I are truly honored that you, to have you as a guest on our podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having us. And we both, we both love all your restaurants. And in fact, Marnie and I had set up a date for our husbands to finally meet uh, at Spoon and Stable in early April, which we are just postponing. Um, so can't wait for the dining room to be open. Us too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. 
we love your mission and the message. And so we're excited to share all this with our audience today. And of course, to get back to all the restaurants once they are open again and to hear everything that you guys have to say. And um, we'd love to start out by just hearing a little bit about your background and your journey to becoming a nationally recognized chef, um, opening award-winning restaurants, and um, just in a nutshell, kind of how you got to where you both are today. Well, it happened overnight. No, I'm just I mean, you know, I started to cook at 15. I knew that I would be in this business my whole life when I was 15 years old. Um, it just was a really uh, fascinating thing for me to watch people um, when they eat and when they go out to eat and what that means. And, and, as, and as powerful as we think food can be, food is very powerful. It's actually very political, but it's very powerful. Uh, what is more powerful than anything else to me is hospitality and the art of bringing people together. And what's been uh, really, really fascinating about the whole COVID experience is that, you know, COVID is our kryptonite. It is taking us, uh, it's taking everything away from us um, that we normally do, which is to give and to serve and what that looks like. And I think that there, um, if there is a silver lining to some of that, it gives us an opportunity to really tell an amazing story about why it's so important that restaurants are around. And I, you know, I started, when I started to cook, it was, it was all about the food and it was all about, you know, which restaurant could I go work at? And I moved from, you know, New England Culinary Institute in Vermont to Napa Valley, to Switzerland, to London, to San Diego, to New York. And, you know, I worked for some of the best restaurant minds this business ever has offered. Uh, Alice and I both did. You know, we, she and I met in 2000, when was that? 2001, eight, I think. Yeah. So that was at New York city uh, at restaurant cafe Balloon. Allison came on as the assistant general manager, just coming from Cornell. Um, and unfortunately she had to work with all of us. <laughs> uh, so she was way smarter than anybody there, but we all faked it really well <laughs> up with her. Um, and I still try to on a daily basis, but you know, it's, it is an amazing business to be a part of because we are so connected to humans and that's what's so special about it. So um, being an award-winning chef is amazing, but I will tell you, I spend a lot of time with Thomas Keller, who is far more award-winning than I am. And he tells me every time he wins an award that an award is nothing more than a celebration of yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I always find that to be a really inspiring reminder of what those awards mean because if they sit on my shelf or if they sit on my wall, uh, they are a great reminder of what we did yesterday, but it is a collective we and not an I when it comes to that, because you know those awards don't mean anything unless it's a whole team that, that brought us together. And in times like this pandemic, there's no more um, evidence that you need than knowing that that team is what's brought that to you. Yeah, and I, that's amazing. And I love that your whole, um thought process is about the we and the collective group and not I, 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 because you, you do hear about a lot of chefs out there where it's all about them. Right. Mm -hmm. And I love how much you care about the people that you work with. That's, that's well, it's always, yeah, it's, it's always been made about us because it's an easier thing to write. You know, it's an easier <laughs> thing to portray. I mean, you know, I talk to people all the time that say, Oh, you're a chef for a living. So you must cook all the time. It's like, I don't know. I actually don't cook. I run a business. I'm the CEO of a restaurant group that has used to have over 200 employees. 
when I cook, it's the best part of my day because it's when I can relieve myself from anything and I can just be back into my element of cooking. Um, but, you know, the, the, we've always been portrayed as this one individual that does all of this. You know, our mm -hmm. restaurant has 28 managers, um, 26 of which were all promoted from within our group. That's the group of people that runs this business. You know, what's amazing to me about having Allison on this call is that not as many people know who she is that might know who I am, but she is the, she is one of the most important, if not the most important resource that our restaurant group has. And frankly, that a lot of restaurants, restaurant groups has because she has a consulting company that helps other groups. And, you know, those, those forms of communication are so valuable to us as restaurant owners and as chefs, because the other thing that chefs are really bad at we're really bad at articulating. We're really bad at communicating. There's some of us that are really good at it and are not afraid of a camera, i.e. myself and others, but most of us are afraid of it. And we're afraid of getting out of the kitchen, what that looks like. And now is a, a really important part of that. You know, I look generationally at the different chefs and I look at the Paul Bocuse generation, which would be in the sixties. You know, before Mr. Bocuse, chefs never even came out of the kitchen. They just cooked in the kitchen. And then it was always thought that the maitre d' was the person mm -hmm. who brought you your meal. And that's where a lot of what we see, you know, that's where you see handshakes of cash being sent to the maitre d'. And then he kind of brought the chef out of the kitchen and he showed that there was somebody behind those closed doors. And I look at the generation from which Allison and I learned from the Danielle Baloods of the world and that generation, and they gave us a passport to the world because they opened up restaurants all over the world and we could travel and open those. I mean, Allison opened up over a dozen for Danielle around the world, yeah. you know? So what is our generation going to do to help the next generation? And a lot of that is, you know, what we're looking, what we're working through now. That's yeah. awesome. Well, Allison, do you want to share a little bit about, um, about your journey? I would love to. Um, my journey in hospitality quite literally started at, at birth. Um, I grew up in San Francisco in a bed and breakfast. Uh, that my my mom mostly ran out of our childhood home, and she started it a handful of years before um, either my, my brother and I were born. And so, pretty much as soon as we could start helping out, um, whether it was cooking or cleaning, um, I went on some pretty infamous bike tours for guests in our San Francisco neighborhood as a kid. Um, and because it was so uh, ingrained in my life, I, I never really appreciated how much hospitality meant to me until we stopped doing it when I was a teenager. Um, at which point I just, I, I still marvel at the fact that people would travel from all over the world for their one or two weeks a year that they didn't have to work and they would stay in our house. Like that was, that was their vacation. And I still feel the same way every time I spend time in the restaurants and I see hundreds of people coming to Spoon and Stable or a handful of people coming into Demi and keeping those seats full every night. Like those people have thousands of other choices of how to spend their time. And time is the only resource that we all have that we can't buy more of. And there's just nothing that makes me feel more grateful than seeing people in our dining rooms in the same way that I felt um, in my house as a kid. You, you're choosing to be here over any other place in the world. It's, it's a pretty beautiful thing. Um, so I was hooked from the get-go. I wanted to be a pastry chef. Um, I would go to Jardinier in San Francisco whenever my mom would let us and just 
eat dessert all night for dinner. <laughs> um, and uh, I think the, the schedule, the uh, 3 a.m. start time, proved to be challenging for me in high school. And I abandoned the, the cooking thing pretty quickly, but did end up going to Cornell uh, through their hospitality management program. And um, I was recruited by Danielle right out of school, which was incredible. That's amazing. Um, and it was right at the start of what was his major growth spurt. So as Gavin has already mentioned, uh, my job completely revolved around opening restaurants in between Danielle's company and my own consulting company and Gavin. I think I'm up to like 35 openings now, which is wow. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's so cool. It is so cool. And I think it also, the reason that I maybe masochistically love them, I don't think you find too many people who really want to spend their days opening restaurants. Um, the reason that I love it so much is also something that we've already brought up on in this conversation, which is that element of team. None of us do great things alone. It's just not possible. Um, we do great things by uh, having self-awareness about what we bring to the table and having a similar awareness about what we don't bring to the table and finding people around us who can fill in those gaps and, and lift us up together as a team. Um, it's something that I love so much about working with Gavin. We just, we bring different stuff to the table. Having somebody with such clarity of vision uh, is such a gift. And then there needs to be this other piece of it where we figure out how to put one foot in front of the other to get to that vision. To um, implement. But, yeah, but if you don't have both sides, you don't have mm -hmm. anything. And that's how yep. all teams work. And I know that you guys are really big um, into creating those like majestic moments. We, we, Stephanie and I both have heard a little bit about that. Can you guys talk about that a little more? Yeah, we love majestic moments of hospitality. We talk about it all the time. I'll give you an example. So this is, so you can kind of see this bucket and all these pieces of paper in this. So I gave, I gave a talk um, to a retail company, actually, of 100 people and gave an hour long, I think my speech was supposed to be an hour long and I went about an hour and 45 minutes, but that's their fault for giving the microphone to me. <laughs> and I was explaining to them in retail, as in restaurants, what is the idea of a majestic moment of hospitality? Um, internally, we call it dream weaving, and we go through a lot of that. Allison will tell you about a dream weaving experience that we have um, been brainstorming the last couple of days, which we will execute this week, uh, to a couple that have absolutely no idea that it's coming. Um, but the goal is like, how do you fill somebody's bucket, right? Mm -hmm. To make somebody happy ultimately makes you happy. It's funny because I look back on it, and I remember working in restaurants at 15, I'd come home to my mom and dad and my mom would say, oh, I was work today. And I'd say, oh, it was good. But, you know, this one guy came in and he was just real jerk. Like he wasn't nice to me. He didn't smile. Um, <clears throat> he wasn't nice on checkout or anything. And my mom would always say, honey, just smile to them. Because the more you smile to somebody, the more they'll smile back to you. And, you know, looking back at it now, what she was saying was fill their bucket with something because they don't have anything in their bucket. And that one smile might lift them up a little bit more, but it'll actually end up lifting you up even more. So there's a children's book called How Full Is Your Bucket? And I've read it to my kids and it's an amazing book. And I read this book to a hundred people at this retail speech because I said to them, what you do for a living, what I do for a living are the same thing. We're, we're built to fill people's buckets. So they're a thank you gift to me 
was a bucket filled with every single person's experience of my speech and how it filled oh. their buckets. Oh that's my God. Amazing. Which is so thoughtful, you know, wow. yes, they did. That's a majestic moment that they put on to me, which was mm -hmm. very nice. Yeah. Um, but Allison, tell them about the majestic moment we're working on. Yeah. So we, um, when we conceived of Demi, this element of dream weaving, which has always been a part of the restaurants, we just believe in creating extraordinary and memorable experiences for people. And um, you know, kind of becoming this golden thread in, in people's lives. And at Demi, that felt more important than ever before, that we really focus our energy on these 40 people a night, five nights a week that, that have trusted us to give them an unforgettable experience. Giving 40 people a night an unforgettable experience is hard. That's complicated. And um, so we dedicated some, some thought to it and some resources we have. Um, a woman on our team named Liz, whose entire job is dedicated to creating these moments for for other people. And uh, she's just such a dynamic and talented and thoughtful person. She's an artist. Um, she's incredible with her hands. She's so compassionate and kind. And so basically her entire life is constructing all sorts of different gifting strategies for people. She doesn't often get to see the results of them because they happen in the restaurant. And um, Liz met her husband-to-be at Spoon and Stable. She used to be a host there, and he is a server. And they oh, met at the front door so one day, <laughs> and uh, they got engaged last year. And their wedding is scheduled for April 18th, this Saturday. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, you know, they were planning a, a normal wedding. Uh, and with people flying in from all over the country to come and celebrate the day with them, including many of their family members. And um, when I checked in with Liz about this after the restaurants closed and, and just kind of asked her what she was planning to do for the wedding, they said that, you know, marriage is about the best of times and the worst of times, and this is the worst of times. And so it feels even more important that we move forward with our ceremony and commit to each other. Mm -hmm. um, but they're going to be doing it privately in a church with just a handful of people. And they were planning on um, coming to pick up takeout from Spoon and Stable afterwards um, to take home and, and eat together as their wedding dinner. And instead, we're going to be surprising them with something oh. much more beautiful <laughs> uh, in one That's of the restaurants. So, yeah, Chef Diana is making a wedding cake. Uh, the oh. team at Spoon and Stable has a whole menu put together for them. Uh, and they have no idea that it's coming. She made like hundreds of paper flowers for her ceremony by hand. And wow. uh, we're going to steal them from her house once they leave for the wedding and set them up in the private dining room so that she has what she would have had at her or at yeah. her party. Oh, that's so beautiful. Oh my yeah. Yeah, so I have the chills. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so Libby, who does our, our social media and communications um, she's also an amazing photographer too. So she's taking the pictures and one of the last photos is against the wall at Spoon and Sable, which is kind of a, a darker wall. And a lot of people use that for photo shoots. I'm, mm -hmm. I think Spoon and Sable is probably in more senior photos than any other restaurant. <laughs> um, we could, we should just start charging, frankly. But anyway, so Libby's going to take a picture there and that'll be their last photo. And then we're basically going to walk them into spoons and tell them they can grab their takeout food there. But instead, we're going to sit them down and do a five-course dinner for them. And oh they have gosh. no idea. No idea. So, and it's, is it just the two of them? 
That's yeah. it. Social distancing. That's, right? No. Oh, that's wow. that's oh. amazing. I, I love that. So that's, you know, that's the idea of majestic moments is how can we think about ways to really fill somebody's bucket and that dream leaving is really important. And, you know, somebody like Liz is one of the most deserving people to get it. Cause like Allison said, she dreams of this stuff all the time and she's not able to see the people's reaction. But as somebody who gives these gifts to people often, I see their reaction. So, you know, we might have a husband and wife in who just had a baby three months ago. And this is their first, Demi is their first dinner out since their mm -hmm. baby was born. And, you know, they're both emotional because of it. Uh, and we'll deliver like a onesie and some tea for the next morning or whatever it is. And you'll just see them break down and just like tears of joy. But, you know, Liz, Liz doesn't get to see that, but we do. How do you, how do you pull those moments out of people? How do you know, like, who's coming in and what's going on in their lives. Well, everything's kind of social now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can find out a lot and, and we know our guests pretty well and we get to know them pretty well. And sometimes we don't know any of it until we get through the meal. Mm -hmm. So there will be guests that will sit down and, you know, tell us, Oh, we're here for the first time because we just, you know, we just had a baby, but now we're out. <clears throat> so yeah. that triggers us to say, Let's, let's go to this dream weaving. What do we want to do? Um, it can be a lot of different things. We need to, we sort of force that creativity on ourselves. Yeah. That's super cool. That's very cool. Um, you know, as we kind of been talking a little bit about Corona and the current environment we're all living in, you know, obviously you've had to close your restaurants, but you've been really, you, you guys improvise with your creativity. It doesn't seem like you missed a beat. Can you talk a little bit about how you've changed your business model recently? And then this Heart of the House Foundation, which sounds like an amazing organization. Yeah, so the pivot has been, um, it's kind of daily, I would say. <laughs> I'm sitting in my office now, Allison's next to me in, a, in, in our, I think what normal people would call a conference room, which is our library. But, you know, we, four weeks ago, we sat in this office and, effectively put together what the communication strategy was first and foremost to our team, uh, secondly to the public. Um, and that was to close all the restaurants and how to do that, you know, before the governor came out the next day to mandate it. Uh, it wasn't about getting out before that or any of that. None of that matters to me because no matter what, the message is the same, <clears throat> you know, and what do we do to, to, to pivot the business a little bit. So takeout became the quickest viable option that a lot of places have gone to. I will tell you, we've done takeout for four weeks and the business has steadily declined and leveled off. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that because the first week everybody went to takeout. So it went like that because we all had this instinctive desire to want to support our restaurants as quickly as we could. And then of course, there's the reality of, I also just bought $4,000 worth of food at Costco and I got to cook it. Right. right. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. Yep. And it's not like it went like this and then went straight down. It just kind of went and started to mellow out and, and become a little bit more, frankly, manageable for a lot of restaurants. It's been a hard pivot because it is a net zero profit. You know, it effectively pays 28 employees for me um, to stay on the payroll, which is great. We don't make money on it. It's not, but it's also not about us making money on it. It's literally about how do we keep the doors open? 
What I have found really inspiring and I think interesting is that the takeout has created a sense of normalcy for some people, mm-hmm. for a lot of yes. people. Um, you know, we do ramen on Saturday at Spoon and Stable. Every Saturday at 10 o'clock, it goes out. A lot of people can't stay up that late, including me. <laughs> and so you can order ramen as takeout on Saturday and bring it home and make it yourself whenever you want, but you'll have everything there to make it. So this past Saturday, we had 60 orders of ramen to sell, which all sold out in like 20 minutes. Wow. You know? Wow. Well, um, that's good to know because I, we actually were going to order my birthdays this weekend. And so we have we both have birthdays. This we both weekend. have birthdays this weekend. <laughs> yep. And I said, okay, we're going to order from Spoon and Fable. But if I don't get on then right by like 1120, because I know your menu launches at 11 o'clock. But it, on Wednesday, right? Or is it Saturday? Yeah, on Wednesday, the, la- the menu launches on Wednesday um, okay. at 11. And then the ramen is a pot, kind of a pop-up thing that happens on Saturday. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. So, you know, but it's, 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 it's just such an interesting way to kind of pivot the business and look at it and think to yourself, like, how else can we extend our arms of hospitality to our guests while they're in their own home. Like for me, one of the coolest things to see is seeing people take the food out of the takeout box and then replate it yeah. on their own plates <laughs> and like set yeah. the room table up and have wine and candles and flowers. And I'm just like, I love that. You know, it makes me smile. It makes me so, so happy. So if, you know, again, like if I look at like something that does fill my bucket a little bit that fills it for sure. But we've had to pivot a lot of our, we've had to pivot every day. I mean, I don't, you know, Allison and I, we talk every day, no matter what, but the last four weeks has been just nonstop. And the heart of the house foundation was an amazing pivot um, that I'm so thankful we could create quickly. And it was Allison and myself and Anna who's on our team um, and Maggie who really kind of helped pull it all together so fast. Uh, Libby created the design, uh, which Allison can can speak a little bit to the design because that was like 27 emails on like a Sunday. <laughs> love the design. I know. It's, uh, it's, I absolutely love the design. Can you tell us more about, not everybody knows what the Heart of the House Foundation is. So can you tell us what that is exactly? And you can talk about the design and- Yeah, I would love to. What you're doing for- your people. Absolutely. Um, I We made the decision to close the restaurants on Sunday the 15th, not a date that I will soon forget. And I think that the first conversation that we had about um, Heart of the House was that Monday morning, the 16th. And I think um, the first thought we ha- all had was, look, the vast majority of people who work in restaurants, including ours, are living paycheck to paycheck when they're earning 100% of their normal income. So when the restaurants closed and we knew that best case, a lot of our team members would be living off of 50% of their normal income through unemployment and that there's then a whole other group of people who aren't eligible for unemployment and are going to go from 100% of their income to 0% of their income overnight with no warning that's a problem. Uh, and it's not, and it's not, you know, I really don't think of Heart of the House Foundation, which was created to um, help bridge the financial gap for people um, within Spanier Hospitality Group during this time. To me, it's, it's not charitable, honestly. To me, this is, this is an important and necessary investment. The health of our team determines the health of our business. 
when we're mm-hmm. able to reopen, we need these people to come back and we need them to come back having not suffered through two months or however long it's going to be of being afraid about how they're going to feed their children or not being able to pay their rent and not having a roof over their head. That doesn't serve us. It doesn't serve those individuals. It doesn't serve our larger community. And it felt incredibly important to make sure that we were able to set something up right away for people so that they could let go of some of that fear, that they knew that they would be taken care of uh, during this time. And um, we just today actually ended our second round of um, applications. We've been able to, we were able to grant 100% of the applications through the first round, uh, which feels incredible. It's been overwhelming seeing the amount of support coming in from uh, regular guests who miss, miss these individual team members to see the support from within our own team for people who are able to make ends meet during this time. They're donating their last paycheck uh, to the people, their coworkers essentially, who are in a different position. Um, it's been a pretty, pretty beautiful testament to the fact that we are all connected. Uh, and uh, I think that's probably been the best outcome, in my opinion. And the the logo, um, to that same point, is inspired by a Japanese pottery mending technique called kintsugi. And um, practitioners of kintsugi um, bring broken pieces of plates and bowls back together by mending them with gold leaf. And the idea is that once the, the plate is fixed and it's covered with all of this gold, it's actually more valuable than it was before monetarily. It's worth more than it was when it was whole. And I think that's that's the same way that we feel about this moment that we're in. Um, I, I never would have wished for it, but here it is. And I, I never felt more confident that we're going to come out the other side of it with more understanding of our businesses and a much greater appreciation for our teams and each other. That's beautiful. And the fact that you came up with this logo so quickly, that's so meaningful. Um, And I love just talking about how, yeah, this is, these are hard times for everyone, but that you're going to come out somehow stronger in the end and just bringing everyone together. And I love all the little, um, there's all these silver linings, but there's all these random acts of kindness. And just so people doing good. And Gavin, you talked about it earlier, when you do something good for someone else. It also fills you up. And and I'm just truly blown away by the amount you guys care for your team. Like not everybody's like that with their teams. So kudos to you guys. I mean, that is truly amazing and beautiful. And I love the amount of support and care and thought that you really give to your team. I mean, that's huge. So let's see, it was probably like three and a half years ago, four years ago. Yes, yeah, three and a half years ago when, when, when Allison and I first started to talk about rejoining forces, she was successful with her, with her company and doing her thing and, and Spoon and Stable was her first client. So I always held that as a proud moment for me and it was a feather in my cap for sure. Um, but what I'll never forget, as long as I live, as we sat down in, in, a, in a room next door to Spoon, and we talked about what it would mean to join back up again and to run this company collectively together as a group. And she just said, whatever it is we do, we just have to make sure it's not the same way. It, it's not run the same way as how we grew up in the restaurant world to say, can we figure out a way to change this? Can we figure out a way to make this 
a profession? Can we figure out a way to make this less of an industry and more of a place where people genuinely believe that this is the profession that they are working in? They're proud to work in it. It creates um, stability for them and their family financially and emotionally. And that was a pact that we had for each other uh, when we talked a couple of years ago. And, you know, I'm so proud to also know that we, we stick to that. And this is a really, really important time for us to stick to it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not something like Allison said, it's not something we would ever dream to have happen. Um, but to know that once it's tested, we're ready to, to face the test and go after it, I think is an important thing because we need the team to come back and be excited and healthy and, and, you know, like ready to, to serve and ready to cook. And I always say like, for, for me, like the most inspiring thing, the part of, for, for my day, the thing that gets me out of bed is knowing that there are people that are relying on us to be financially successful. There are people who are relying on us to be um, socially responsible. And all of these things are very, very important. And that's not just for me or for Allison or for the team that works in our, in our offices. That is for every single person. And the prep cook who you don't see who puts away the food every single morning and the dishwasher who makes sure that the garbage containers are clean that you've never met you know, Mitch, who's been with us for five years, who makes sure that the garbage clean, are clean every single day. You know, we want to make sure Mitch is great. We want to make sure that Alberto, who puts away the food orders at Spoon and Demi and substitutes wherever I need him to substitute, is taken care of. Like, the, there are names to these people and there are faces to these people that mean so much to us who make your experience at Spoon, Belcor, and Demi unforgettable. And we need to make sure that it's our job to make sure you know who these people are. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. So I'm, I'm wondering through all of this, how do you guys manage your mindset and stay positive and creative? You know, obviously in general, the restaurant industry is pretty cutthroat. Then you throw the coronavirus into the mix and it's even more, you know, there's just a lot of extra stuff kind of going on. So I'm wondering how you manage your mindset, positivity, all of that. Well, we've cried a lot together. Yeah. Which is very important, so right? Yeah. <laughs> we 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 don't hold I mean, to be honest, like we don't really hold back any of that emotion. We never have. Coronavirus or not, we've never held that back from each other. We've always been, you know, Alice and I have always been very open book with that stuff. And we have been with our team. We've always been vulnerable with our team. Um, we've always taken that opportunity to be vulnerable with them and talk to them. I think that I I I know that my vulnerability to a a vast majority of our team is more of a surprise to them than others, just because I'm less, uh, I'm less vulnerable that way. You know, I think people just have a perception of what it is that we go through or what that, what it is that I do um, versus the reality of what, you know, I'm having to make decisions about every single day. But there's, you know, we, we, we definitely have to work on it. I mean, for me personally, having time to go to the gym is really important. I don't have that gym anymore, but I can still figure out ways to, to make that happen. Um, you know, having time to just know that I can spill my, my guts out and, and just be able to talk about it is really important. And having those people in your life is also very important. And I think that you're absolutely right in saying that the restaurant industry is very cutthroat. But I think they're cutthroat for different reasons than you think that I think, you know, <laughs> they're cutthroat because the, th- the razor thin margins, 
um, they're cutthroat because there's competition, but competition is important. Mm -hmm. um, I call it the gas station method. You know, I want restaurants to open up in the North Loop. I like that. I want more restaurants to open up around me because it gives the guests an opportunity to question where they want to go. And it's our opportunity to get them to come into our space, you know, but the razor thin margins are things that have only been coming up recently because of the coronavirus. And we need to do a really, we have to do a better job at explaining what that means for people. Um, and I think that we're, we're trying to figure out how to do that. But, you know, as an example, could anybody in their wildest dreams think that our company pays somebody to think about how to make your experience better? That's not on your bill. Right. Okay. When you come in to eat at a restaurant, let's start with something really simple. You go to eat at a restaurant. Would you ever pay for bread? Because you might have to always pay for bread when this is over. And I understand that might be only $2. And I understand that that bread seems to have always been free before and it never seemed to be an issue. I will tell you the one person who gets the most amount of overtime pay in our entire kitchen is the person who makes bread for you that we don't charge you for. So we need to do a better job at changing that, right? We need to do a better job at understanding that it's okay to charge for that because that what we're charging for is not the product. We're charging for the value of that person being in our establishment to make something for you. It doesn't make me more money. It makes me nothing, but it, it, it gives value to that person who's making that product for you. And what I've learned through any of this, that is more important than anything else. So getting back to um, like, how do you guys take care of yourselves? Like, how do you, how do you, you know, feed yourself, self-care. Yeah. Also never eats. <laughs> <laughs> this is not true. We, I'm not saying know, feed yourself with food. I'm just saying like, how do you feed right, your own soul? Well, and your, yeah. And the energy you need. I mean, this is a yeah, demanding yeah. business yeah. that you're in, right? Um, I think I, I will quickly go back to something, a piece of this that Gavin already mentioned, which is this notion of partnership uh, with each other, with, you know, people who are close to us outside of the restaurants, I think that in terms of mental health and sanity and being able to process uh, emotions in a healthy way, you have to have someone that you can put it all out there with. Um, I work with an executive coach and he always tells me that it's, you know, the best commitment to make to yourself and to the people that you share your life with is to keep a clean house a clean emotional house. When you start to feel like there's, um, you know, whatever it is, anger, frustration, sadness, um, overwhelm, when those things start to build up and you don't share them, they go somewhere. <laughs> they live in your body. Mm -hmm. They live in your mind. They live in your heart. Uh, they don't go away just because you don't vocalize them. And um, unfortunately, I think it's pretty rare to have people that you work with um, and, and in your life where you can really do that with. And it's such a gift that Gavin and I have that with each other. And I do think that it's a huge portion of how we take care of ourselves, um, both at a personal level and professionally. I am pretty committed to being physically active every day. That looks different now than it did a month ago, mm -hmm. but um, just, you know, making sure to get fresh air and um, sweat. I don't mm -hmm. think that there's anything that brings me more sanity than um, really tough exercise. Needing to push myself to a point where 
I can't think about anything else other than what I'm doing with my body. That is like the ultimate form of meditation. So what's your favorite workout that you're doing right now? Uh, right now it's, I, it's walking cause I like got to get outside during mm-hmm. this time, but usually it's um, various forms of yoga. Um, I was a rower in college, Ooh. which oh, is wow. extremely yeah. um, vigorous sport. And it also uh, destroyed a lot of my body. So I can't do things that are in, have impact anymore. Uh-huh. But well, walking. I think walking right now is huge. That's like been my also, um, I don't know, one of my preferred methods of movement aside from doing workouts, home workouts in my basement, um, but just the fresh air. Yeah, even just, today, I got outside for 10 minutes before this interview. I'm like, I've got to get outside after yesterday's snow. Yeah, yeah just getting out in that Mentally. fresh air when we're all stuck inside right now mm-hmm. is, is a wonderful relief and mm-hmm. break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously during this time, you guys are probably spending a lot more time at home. I mean, Kevin, I know you have two boys and a wife and everything. Are you doing anything new? Obviously you're very busy, but, um, you know, you see a lot right now, especially on social media about people taking this opportunity to just do things that you haven't done in a long time or, you know, spending time with your family, having family meals and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. It's funny because we, we just recently moved into a, a new house. So we sold our old house, moved into a different house. And so like the, the act of purging, cleaning and reorganizing every single drawer is over because we did it two <laughs> months ago um, and we had been preparing for the move and we only had basically, I had three days to make the move happen with my schedule. Um, so I was able to get everything done in those three days. So now, you know, to be home more is great. My eight year old said to me the other day, Julius, he says, daddy, are you going to be home every night for dinner? <laughs> I said, yeah, I think so. I said, am I, am I ruining your routine? He's like, well, I just kind of like plain pasta and chicken and not really into the braised lamb shank. For you know, I'm like, I'm like, do you know who's cooking for you? Just to be clear, like you can eat this. You know, last night I made Easter dinner for him. He was like, I'll just take a roll. Oh. You're like, oh my God. Okay, whatever. One day so, oh, he'll but, but it's so nice to be like, you know, I, I don't read for them. When they go to bed, you know, I, I do that maybe once a week if I'm lucky. And, you know, now I get to do it three, four, five times a, a week, which has just been awesome. It was like that before we opened Spoon, too, because I had a couple of months between when I moved back home and opened Spoon and Stable. So it reminds me a little bit of that time, except now they're older. And so there's more bruises and more contact sports right. um, and more <laughs> running outside and bike rides and things like that. So, um, it's, it's really special to have that time. I mean, that's one of my areas of emotional release is when I can just be with them. You know, last night we had a movie night and I, I like, I honestly don't remember the last time I had movie night with my kids on it. We did it on a Saturday night. We did movie night on a Saturday night. I think genuinely, I think the last time I did movie night with them on a Saturday night was never. Yeah. What movie did you watch? We watched Soul Surfer about oh. that girl who lost yes, her arm. Pretty, yeah. Beth, Bethany, Bethany Hamilton. Franklin. Or, yeah, Franklin, sorry. Yeah, it's a really inspiring story. She's, mm-hmm. got a, she's got a documentary on Netflix, which I saw a while ago too, and that was, that was great. So the, the boys wanted to watch. Actually, I think my wife tricked them into it because they're like, let's watch an Easter movie. And my wife's like, let's watch this. I'm like, <laughs> Easter? Oh. Shark bites her arm off. Yeah, that <laughs> might be actually a good one for the, all three of my kids because it's sometimes hard to find a movie that, for the 
15 year old and the, you know, the nine year old. So yeah, no, it's good. I mean, it's, it's a, a good inspiring movie. story and she's, yeah. you know, she's a very inspiring person. And, mm-hmm. and it, you know, it was, it was great. Listen, I don't know how long the movie is, maybe an hour and 40 minutes, but they actually watched the whole movie. So that was pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, there's a silver awesome. lining right there. Yeah. Movie night, right? Yeah. What about you, Allison? Oh, doing that you, you know, haven't typically done before or made time for these last few weeks? Definitely cooking. Um, My partner, Marco, and I are cooking almost every night. I think in the past month, it's been a full month now since the closures. We've only ordered takeout once. And yeah, it's been a pretty like disciplined pursuit of mastering certain things. Um, I feel really strong about our pasta game right now. Um, we've been making a lot of fresh pasta and scratch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's on nice. our list. That's too. awesome. Yes. Yeah. It's very, again, a very like meditative cooking activity. Mm-hmm. When I lived in Italy, I did it every single day. It was just a part of my routine and, and like, you know, everything else is kind of like a language. If you stop practicing it, the the intuitive knowledge goes away. So um, we were literally starting from scratch there, but that's been really fun. Um, we're on the road to getting sushi down. It's a little bit more complicated than pasta, but we've been making sushi for the past couple of days. Um, tortillas, that was the week prior. So we're, we're just, yeah, I don't know. We're getting into cooking. That's to be awesome. That's stuff. awesome. Yeah. We've been doing a lot of that too. Yeah. Um, so changing gears a little bit, can you guys tell us about KZ provisioning and how, um, the healthy balanced food that you're providing for the athletes is changing their performance and providing inspiration to incorporate changes into their daily lives? Yeah. So KZ provisioning was a, um, kind of the brainchild between Andrew Zimmern and myself, which is the KZ part. Uh, so we, we each own part of that business. And it originally started with the, just the Minnesota Wild. So we originally started with just the hockey team. Um, Jason Zucker, who obviously doesn't play for the team anymore, uh, but still lives here, and Jared Spurgeon are both very, very close friends of mine. And they kind of helped introduce this idea with me. I went to visit them one day. Um, after practice and was sitting down and having lunch with them and I was not happy with what I was eating. And so I vocalized that and I couldn't understand why they were eating what they were eating. And then I put it in a way that they understood. And I said, collectively, if you guys make $350 million, you're a $350 million company eating fish fry and French fries for lunch on a Tuesday after practice. Right. Unbelievable. That makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) No. So we decided to create the business and the intention has always been to create healthy and sustainable meals for athletes to find their peak performance, the day of practice, the day after practice, and the next day during the game. So with each team, we now cook for the Minnesota Wild and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Not now, but we did. Mm -hmm. And we actually still provide food for the Timberwolves. There's There's a group of players who are still in town. Um, So we provide meal kits for them, breakfast, lunch, and dinner uh, every single day. And then they come and pick it up or somebody drives it to their house and it gives them instructions on how to make the food. But we monitor their diets. I mean, I'll tell you, like in the Timberwolves facility, there's a a doctor there named Robbie Sitka, who we work with very, very closely. Um, And Gerson, who is the newly appointed president of basketball operations, they've been great to work with. Um, 
And, and we work a lot with the coach, with Ryan Saunders. And, you know, we, we essentially come up with and devise plans on what these players eat. So the players wear Fitbits in the lining of their shorts. Those Fitbits give information to the doctor and the nutritionist on the team of what they want to see. Caloric intake, uh, levels of when is their melatonin spiking and going down, et cetera. That comes to us. And then we devise a meal plan based on sort of their diets. <clears throat> and it's, it's just fascinating. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. To help them see how powerful their bodies are, you know, um, basketball has been different to kind of navigate through than hockey. It's just, they're different sports. Um, the, the type of people are different, you know, the basketball team, um, I think at first the hockey team too, was they were both a little reserved, like, who are you and why do you want to help us? What do you want from us kind of thing? Um, and I've had conversations with all the athletes and said, I don't really care how many points you score on the court or how many pucks you put in the net. I just care that you're happy and you're healthy and you're eating what you want to eat. And we're providing that for you. And whatever that means, just know that you're not going to hurt my feelings. If you text me and say, we don't want oatmeal anymore in the morning or whatever it is. Like, I don't care. We just want to know. And we might push back and tell you, actually, you're going to eat that. And this is why. Yeah. <laughs> um, so at least I, are you personalizing per player or is it like all the basketball players have the same breakfast? They all have the same lunch or how are you? It's pretty that? personalized. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I can tell you Carl Anthony Towns eats the same thing every day and it's not what anybody else eats. So it's pretty okay. personalized. Um, you know, in, in, and we do it in, a, in the, the, one of the reasons that we do that is because their diets are all very different. Uh, how they grew up is also different. So Jarrett Culver, who's a rookie on the Timberwolves, as an example, when we started the season, he wouldn't eat breakfast. And so he would come in at a different energy level than what they were expecting. And we couldn't figure out why he wouldn't eat our breakfast. So we flew his mom up to have his mom cook breakfast with us because he said he would always eat his mom's breakfast. Oh, wow. And so when, when he saw us cooking with her, that intuitively made him eat the breakfast. And in fact, wow. maybe that he was just a little homesick. Oh. Um, and so we wanted to try to figure out how to break that, kind of break that routine up a little bit. And listen, like that, we've been able to do that because of the partnership with people like the Timberwolves in the wild. It's not like that's my idea, right? I mean, this right. is a lot of people right. thinking about that. But it's been such a great relationship. I mean, both of the coaches and the general managers, you know, they've they've all reached out to, to us during this time uh, of the COVID crisis just to check in and see how we're doing. So it's been a really, really awesome balance to see. So is this is this pretty progressive? Like it seems like you mentioned, you know, these are professional athletes. They should be fueled like professional athletes. And clearly they weren't at least in our, these two teams in the Twin Cities. Do you see this? Like, was this your idea, or this innovative idea, or was this out there in other cities? I'm I just mean, curious. I, I think yeah. there are other teams that have done it before us. I mean, you look at individually, Tom Brady and LeBron James are two names mm -hmm. right, yeah. that spend millions and millions of dollars every year on the health and wellness of their bodies. Mm -hmm. Not every athlete has that opportunity to do that. So if we're able to find a way to allow the the entity or the team to help supplement that cost to help their athletes. Um, you know, we have found that, that they're excited to do that. So, you know, I've, we've seen other teams start to do it. We've seen other, other chefs start to pick up on the idea of what that looks like. It's not easy. I mean, you're, you know, yeah. you're a private chef for 
you know, 20 or 30 or 40 people every single day. And when right. they're on the road, you're not really off when you're, when they're on the road. I mean, when they're on the road traveling, we go through every menu that they're going to encounter to make sure that that menu nutritionally speaks to what we would serve if they were in our home. Yeah. So we're studying the menus when they're on the road. We're studying the menus when they're on the plane. Um, I take road trips with the teams to see how they are when they are on the road to make sure that what we're doing is actually working with what we say we're doing. Um, and it's, it's just a totally different part of my world that people would have no idea that we do. I think it's so cool. Do you have like a success story or maybe something that one of the players has said to you or commented, just the overall benefit that they've seen and felt? Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll tell you without naming a player. Yeah. (laughs) Um, We did have a player on one of our teams who was trying to be vegan uh, and it was a great idea and we totally supported the idea. Uh, what we realized is that his body was making melatonin far earlier than it should have because he wasn't eating enough protein. Mm-hmm. And so we asked to just change his diet just a little bit. Uh, to, and it wouldn't be vegan, but we just needed to change it a little bit to try to find different ways to make his body hold off on making that melatonin to a later time in the day so he wouldn't look so sluggish while playing the game. Uh, he agreed to doing that, and his season changed very quickly. And wow. all of a sudden he saw he saw himself change. He saw his confidence level change. Uh, and as a result, that became a bit of a success story. Uh, and it wasn't just KZ's idea. It was the nutritionist. It was the strength coach. Uh, it was really great in helping. Uh, and frankly, this player allowed us the opportunity to have that conversation with him. That's amazing. So when you guys, um, I know this, this is kind of a separate entity, correct? This KZ provisioning? It's a a part of our hospitality group though. Okay, it is. So when you think about creating healthy, sustainable meals for these teams, do you guys think about that when you're planning your menus for Bellacour and Spoon and Stable and Demi? Um, How does that play into your meal planning? For me, it's a different type of health. It's about nourishment through Uh that cloud. So you know, for an athlete, we need to nourish the athlete by way of thinking, how can we make sure that they have less inflammation, which would bring down possible um, injuries or, or getting healthier faster through that injury. When a guest comes in to eat, it's about how do we nourish them soulfully. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that, that doesn't mean as much as I'm, a, it doesn't mean I was focused on nutrition. I'm more focused about how do I nourish their soul and what does that look like? Uh, you know, we have guests who, who come in to eat and, and tell us that they want to follow a certain diet and we do our best to follow that diet. But at the end of the day, we're there to really help make sure that they're nourished. Well, I, I can say, Marty and I both can I, say this. We've been to your restaurants and we've, you know, both said gluten-free or dairy-free or, you know, you've had a very customized experience, especially when I went, I went to Demi. Um, it, was, it was amazing. And I thought you did a great job of nourishing my soul and yes. my palate and all, all of the above. <laughs> well, you know, the gluten-free thing. Yeah, the, yeah the, we do use a lot of butter. The gluten-free thing is an interesting one because I have celiac and I've had celiac mm-hmm. my whole life. I've known it my whole life too. I don't practice it perfectly um, because I, I taste so much food. Um, but I, what, what is important is that I understand the feeling of being a guest in a restaurant and saying what I am and not being able to get what I want because of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that can be 
that can be a really damaging um, and traumatic experience. One so much that uh, inspired Allison to write a hundred page manual about why it's so dramatic. Um, but, you know, we understand that, that we understand that of how that can change a guest mentality and it's not really fair. So, well, right. And, and it's because it's appreciated. Yeah. Yes. And you're trying to create these majestic moments. And if someone comes in and feels like they can't ask for what they want, that they really need, they're not just being a picky eater, right? right. Um, they're not going to walk away feeling that and feeling that you're not going to be able to feel their soul like you talked about. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been to restaurants where I've feel shamed. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. And you just want to like shrink because they're like, oh, the chef won't do that for you or, the, you know, Yeah. and that was, I mean, gluten-free is pretty common today. I feel like most restaurants are familiar with that, but you know, five years ago, seven years ago, it was like, what, you're gluten-free? You should, yeah. why are you here? <laughs> yeah. And I think what's, what's always been tough for restaurants is that out of the 10 people who tell you they have a specific dietary need, there might be seven out of 10 who are telling you to the truth and the three out of 10 who are not. And so it always gets like, my mom has a, has an allergy to seafood, to mollusks specifically. And she'll tell me stories when she goes out to eat that she'll tell the people that she has this allergy. Um, but they'll put food in front of her or in front of my dad for them to share that has that inside and they tell her that it's inside to almost like test her. Like maybe she'll eat it and she's not allergic to it. And so I suggested to her, I said, just make a laminated card. And when you go out to eat, you give the laminated card to the server that said, this is my allergy. I'm serious about my allergy. And if you could just give it to the chef and then give me the card back when dinner's over. And it kind of puts like a bit of responsibility on not only the server, the chef team and everybody else, but it also tells them like, listen, I'm really serious about my health and this is why. Um, and I, and that, since my mom has done that, I think it's helped her communicate that allergy to restaurants and not feel shamed by them. Mm-hmm. What a that's great, a great idea. idea. Yeah. That's a really, especially for kids with all these like peanut allergies and, you know, like really life threatening, um, allergies. Well, anytime, as we kind of start wrapping up this conversation, the one question that we always like to ask all of our guests. Um, and this would be both Allison for you and for Gavin is what does the art of living well mean to you? And there's no, no right answer here. Allison, you go. Yeah. To me, the art of living well, uh, is being kind Mm. and that sounds simple. It's not, uh, the hundred page manual that Gavin just referred to, uh, was something that I wrote before Demi opened. And I would say at least half of it is dedicated to kindness. Um, I separated it out into 14 different categories and, um, that has become my religion, really my, my best way to live well, um, you know, I think how, how we feel as individuals, how we make other people feel, what we accomplish, these are all first before anything else, a reflection of our thoughts. And so it's, it's on us to manage our minds and, and manage the quality of our thoughts. And to me, a lot of that comes down to, to actively practicing kindness every day, practicing gratitude, practicing forgiveness of other people, learning to trust when something hurtful happens, that it wasn't the other person's intention, releasing judgment, all of these things are, are to me, 
what living well is. That's so beautiful. And I love how, that. Do I follow, how do I follow that? I know. <laughs> Mine is to eat Cheetos and write <laughs> on a daily basis and then go to the gym to make sure I don't get fat from them. <laughs> Uh, I mean, my, mine is very much in line of hers, but also, you know, the art of living well for me, a lot of it has to do with just communication, you know, and being able to communicate all of these things that you're going through and, you know, understanding that, as I say to my teams all of the time, the, the, the telephone game, you know, how many people, how many times have you texted somebody who's important in your life, something, and then they don't text back right away. And the time in which they don't text back, how many stories do you make up in your head as yeah. to why they're not texting back? Yeah. You know, and, and, and that is not helping you live well. And so it's, it's like, can you remove some of that from your life a little bit? And can you just focus on what it means to have communication and to text somebody and know that they're going to get back to you when they need to get back to you and that there's not a, a, an ill intent to not get back to you. Um, mm -hmm. I think the other big thing for me is practicing that all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, often we talk about what we're going to do, or we read books about what we're going to do, or we listen to podcasts about what we're going to do. And then we do it for a day, we do it for two days, we do it for a week. And then we just sort of fall back into it again. Um, and we just sort of let it go. And I think that we need to remind ourselves that it's, it's not like overnight, all of a sudden, this is going to happen. I mean, Allison, didn't become who she is overnight. I didn't become the chef I am overnight. It's been a hell of a lot of time spent practicing over and over and over again to make sure that we are where we are. Um, and that doesn't stop in, in, in living as well. And that was beautiful and such great advice. I mean, it's a reminder that everybody needs, right? Because that happens where you get so wrapped up in your own head and in your own thoughts that you don't think about what's going on on the other end of that phone like you know exactly and everything you said too allison i think it just it's resonating even more given the times that we're in right now especially when you're talking about kindness and the no judgment because i think unfortunately there's mm -hmm. been a bit of that you know just around in our current environment right now but yeah. thank you for sharing all this the inspiration and, and motivation i think it's great for people to really learn what each of you guys are doing aside from just when they come to visit the restaurants, right? Cause there's so much more that goes into it. Like you shared. So, and you know, we, Allison, I know we had wanted to ask you a little bit about the nonprofit organization that you work on and we didn't get a chance to, but we will link it up in the show notes. So if people want to take a look at some other things that you're doing as well, cause you guys both just have this enormous list of things you're doing and we didn't have time to cover everything, but we loved having you guys on the show. This has been amazing. And we love supporting your restaurants. Can't wait to support them when they open again and do takeout. Exactly. Well, actually, I was thinking about the ramen. I'm like, my, my kids would really like the ramen too. There you go. So, yeah. yeah. So we both have happen to have birthdays this weekend. So you may yeah. see some takeout orders from us. Exactly. Sounds like a Zoom birthday party if I've ever yeah. heard the opportunity for one. Get some yes. There's Rocket been a lot of Zoom. On the table. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, well, we wish you guys all the best. We hope you have a wonderful day. The sun is shining today. And yeah, stay well. Yeah. Thank stay you well. so much. Okay. Thank you both. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.
Hey, Stephanie, can you believe that the average mass-produced bottle of wine can contain up to 16 grams of added sugar? I know, that's crazy. That's more than a glazed donut. Oof, she kind of grosses me out. But anyway, we're so excited because we finally found clean crafted wine that we enjoy, that tastes good, and we don't feel like crap the next day. I am loving these Scout and Cellar wines. We've tried several of the different types, and all of them taste good, like Marnie said. And we love the fact that there's no added sugar, they're free of chemicals and pesticides, they're grown with organic grapes and sustainable farming practices. And they have very low sulfites, which are one of the things that can often cause the headaches the next day. And, you know, it's summertime, it's patio season. It's so nice to just get outside. If you enjoy having a glass of wine, um, we are super excited to be part of Scout and Cellar. And we do have our online shop. So you just head on over to www.scoutandcellar.com. That's S-C-O-U-T-A-N-D-C-E-L-L-A-R.com slash The Art of Living Well. You can have clean crafted wine delivered to your door. Thank you so much for listening to The Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at theartofliving underscore well on Instagram and Facebook, where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.